Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 142, recorded October 5th, 2013. Right, so today is our 77th 90s episode. Hmm. Can you believe it's been so long? I cannot. Very prolific time, the 90s. Right, and we're about, about to go through some changes here in the 90s because we're on the penultimate episode of Deep Space Nine's run at Malibu. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been doing the second to last episode for original series and Next Generation on DC. So things were a changing. Mm. Nothing lasts forever. That's All good things. I think you said that last week. I'm sorry, I keep saying it. <laughs> I went ahead and read the letters pages for um, you know these issues and and the next several issues that we're going to be doing. Uh, just to see at what point did both of these companies start telling people that, hey, uh, this is it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think DC let anybody know until issue 80, and, and I couldn't see anywhere on the Deep Space Nine ones where it said, this is the last issue. And 80, 80 was the last issue, right? 80 was the last issue. It just ends with the end. and it, I mean, it has like this <laughs> special little, like, uh, huh. or no, actually, I think it says, you know, where it says the end, it says, like, it's never the end, or something like that. Oh, and keeping it open. That's pretty much it. So I don't know, you know, what was going on at that time, if both companies thought that they were going to, you know, get the rights again. Right. Uh, well, but, you know, a, a lot of media loves to keep things open. Keep things open-ended. You may, another opportunity for making money might come out in the future. Why not be open to it? Right. Like the final Dexter episode. Oh, spoiler alert! Uh, don't even get me started on that one. Did you watch it? I watched it. But you didn't watch all the rest of the seasons. Uh, uh, well, yeah. So several seasons ago, I did not allocate enough priority to Dexter, so I just didn't have the time to see them. But yes. So I had I had to see the last episode. Sorry. So I did. And actually, it wasn't... I don't think it was horrible that I didn't see the ones before, but... Um, I mean, leading up to the last one, but you know, it's a series wrap up, so yeah, a lot of the characters I already knew, a lot of the backstory I already knew. There were aspects of it I certainly was not expecting. It was a fine series, fine right. series. Right, it was. I and just... it was a, a good final episode too. Yeah, was it? I I thought it was. I, I mean, well, <laughs> we'll I have to take this mm, offline, mm, kid, because I have some opinions. This is on that one. this is not uh, Dexter review. So, <laughs> back to the comics. Although there is now a Dexter comic, so... Oh, is there? Maybe we can do that one one day. Good. <laughs> that that would be good, because I really enjoy that series. All right, so in this episode, we're going to do uh, Deep Space Nine, 28, 29, and 30. Yes. So, um, you want to just jump into it? I say let's do it. All right, so uh, I get the honor. Yes, honor doing 28 
The title is Friend and Foe Alike. The writer is Dan Mishkin, penciler Leonard Kirk, inker Terry Pallet, letterer Patrick Owsley, color design Moose Bauman, interior computer color is Malibu, assistant editor Dan Shaheen, and media line editor is Mark Pansia. This has a cover date of September 1995. The cover shows a familiar figure, not from Deep Space Nine, but from Next Generation. It is none other than Ro Lauren. She's pointing and firing her phaser right at the reader. So you better duck. Caption reads, Ensign Ro, last stand on Deep Space Nine. Actually, just says DS9. So the story starts off on Deep Space Nine, and a Cardassian official is visiting the station. Kira and Sisko must treat the man as an honored guest, despite the evil, terrible things he did during the occupation and in the battles between the uh, Federation and the Cardassians in the past. As they greet him in the promenade, he is struck by a phaser blast. Odo is quick to turn into a tentacle man, and he grabs a young woman he had never seen before. O'Brien recognizes her as his old crewmate, Roe. She is able to kick O'Brien into Odo, and this is able to uh, disentangle the tentacles, and she then disappears. Roe is seen hiding in air ducts and in the shadows. She seems to know the station better than even the security men that are chasing her. She thinks and talks to herself about her decisions and that she knows she's doing the right thing. Back in Ops, O'Brien is able to tell that someone is accessing a computer panel somewhere in the station due to some power surges. Thinking that this must be Roe, Kira is tasked to investigate. Goldicott arrives in orbit with a few ships. He says he's there out of respect to the Cardassian official that was attacked and is now in surgery with Bashir trying to save his life. Kira arrives at a cargo bay and sees a woman in a Starfleet uniform working on a panel. She orders the woman to stop and to drop her weapon, but the woman is too fast and shoots Kira with a stun blast. In Ops, O'Brien notices another power surge like the one before in a different part of the station. He requests permission to personally go check it out. Sisko allows him only once he admits that this is personal. At the room with the power surge, the security men find nothing and they leave. O'Brien stays behind in the shadows, and he gets the drop on Roe when she arrives. She tells him that she's actually chasing another woman who was planting the bomb. Roe has been disarming the bombs that the other woman has been leaving. O'Brien seems to believe her story, and they continue to search together. Soon, they find the woman that Roe calls Ayla. The woman looks almost exactly like Roe, except she's missing the nose ridges. They have the same haircut and everything. Ayla is working on a console, planting a bomb, obviously, and is encased in a force field so that Roe and O'Brien cannot get to her. Roe keeps Ayla talking about her goals to destroy the station and for the Federation and Cardassians to continue fighting each other. During our conversation... O'Brien is able to disarm the force field, and they stun the terrorists together. Roe tells O'Brien that she has to go, 
and she activates a personal transporter that takes her to a small ship and then races away from the station. Sisko and Odo arrive at the scene, and O'Brien admits that he's not sure that he would have stopped her even if he could. The end. Well, well, two rows. I wonder how that I wonder how that worked out at the beginning, the very beginning. What do you mean? Because obviously it wasn't Roe that shot him. Right. It was the other one that shot him. Yet they didn't see Ayla, but they did see Roe. Interesting how that worked. Right. And why does Roe have to look, or why does Ayla have to look exactly like Roe? I didn't understand yeah. why they needed her to look the same. Yeah, I understand what you what you mean when you say that, but obviously to make the mistaken identity thing work in the story, they had to do that. But I agree with you. I mean, why... I mean, they just happen to go to the same hairdresser? I don't know. <laughs> well, the only time there's any mistaken identity is when Kira gets shot, right? Or is that also Ro? Well, oh, that was what Ro about the very beginning? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right. Yeah, so... I'm thinking that when Kira got shot, she got shot by not Roe, but by Ayla, I think. Well, why would Ayla not just disintegrate her? Why would she stun her? Well, I don't know, but that, that's an interesting point, because one of the comments I have is, when you see the, the rather large panel that shows Roe, I mean, that shows, yeah, that shows Roe, or what appears to be Roe, and then you see Kira, Kira's clearly got the drop on her. Clearly. But somehow, she gets shot by the person that Kira had the drop on. So how did that work? I thought that was kind of BS. But then I, when I found out there were two of them, it was like, oh, well, that makes more sense. So you think she got the drop on one of them, and then the other yes. one shoots her? I think so, yeah. Huh. Now, and if we look... That... Yeah, go All ahead. Right. No, so you think that it was... Row that was in the commun in the guts of that machine, and that it was Ayla who shot her. Because Ayla seems kind of surprised later when she sees Row trying to stop her. Right. Yeah, but l- take a look at page eleven. Uh-huh. Whoever that is messing with things, which quite frankly should be Ayla. Right. Right. I mean, Ayla is the one who's been sabotaging things around the ship. Clearly. Kira is above her, and she's got her gun drawn. I mean, Ayla, I'm going to say it's Ayla, clearly is not even looking at Kira. So how the heck did whoever was working on the, uh, uh, on the equipment, on the station, be able to disengage herself from what she's working on, grab a phaser, look up, raise your arm, and fire at Kira when Kira's already in a position to shoot her? Uh, it just... Kira's just that bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, she'd have to be, wouldn't she? It's like, geez. <laughs> well, she may have that force field thing. Maybe she's able to do a force field around her here, too. And maybe even if Kira did shoot, it wouldn't hurt her. I Maybe, but they didn't... Well, no, they, they, no just, they didn't. They, they just didn't bother showing Kira shooting at all. Mm-mm. But, you know, I, I won't say that didn't happen, but they didn't bother giving any indication of that. Right. No, I'm totally agreeing with you. That uh, doesn't make sense. Yeah. So, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 
sometimes I think stories kind of take shortcuts and just hope people don't notice or <laughs> think about it too much. I don't know. But um, maybe that's one of those times. Right. Yeah, so th- this was something I was kind of like... Um, this was an aspect I wasn't crazy about the story. I mean, you got two of the... You got you got two people. You got Roe and this Ayla person. And they're both in the station and mistaken identities. And at least at the beginning and the middle, it seems like a lot of things that are kind of... Mm, if you think about it too much, don't make sense. While no one knows there's two of them. And then in the end... So there's a lot of things I'm not crazy about when I look back on the issue. But one thing I... I do like about this issue is we found out what happened to Roe, which I I like. That she joined the monkey. Yes, but more so. And I and I don't. Okay, so what I think happened is uh, you'll remember that when she left the Enterprise, Picard had asked her to be part of a new program, right. and he wasn't specific about what it was. They didn't tell you what the program was there, and it, they made it sound like, okay, well, maybe it's a pro... It's, they, they're just going to get rid of her. And then they're just saying some amorphous new program or something. That's, that's the reason she leaves. But in actuality, what I think is, and I'm sorry if I'm talking too much, but I think this special program is basically a spy thing where she was supposed to insert herself into the Maquis, and she's actually working for Starfleet, even though she's supposedly joined the Maquis, but she's undercover. And so, while in the Maquis, she was aware of this plan, and she got onto DS9 to stop it. So she's taking a chance with her undercover cover by doing this. And right. and you'll hear that Ayla was saying, I knew I couldn't trust you, and blah, 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 blah. And so in the end, I think, even though Roe did not tell O'Brien that she's really working for the Federation, I think she's really working for the Federation. Yeah, I, I get what That's you're saying. Theory. I just don't see the evidence to back up that she's a um, a double agent. I I mean, in that episode, what was it, Preemptive Strike? I think it was season seven, maybe six. <laughs> okay. She, she, she betrayed... Starfleet and she joined the Maquis outright. I don't I don't think it was alluded that she Well Because she you... left she left yeah. she left the Enterprise and then came back for that one episode. So I think she was already part of her special program before that episode and then in during that episode where she teamed back up with the Enterprise, uh she ends up leaving Starfleet altogether. Yeah. Well, if you're going to go undercover in the Maquis, you'd do all those things, wouldn't you? But I, I'm, I am saying that this is a theory of mine, which, by the way, I am mostly basing on this issue and the issue of the comic book where she left right, the Enterprise. The, the DC comic that we did right. a couple weeks ago. I am not as much basing it on that episode, because quite frankly, I don't remember much from that episode. Right. Of the TV show. Sorry. And, and, and your better recollection of the TV show continuity is probably showing valuable light on the situation. Yeah. But, I'm, and I, so I, I will admit I could be completely wrong, but... Well, I always really liked Roe, and yeah. I'm, I like your explanation better than what I got out of the episode, mm-hmm. which is that she truly just sided with the Maquis and right. Picard let her go. Yeah. And then, you know... Later in the novels and in 
when they tried to do a more unified continuity, she actually joins Starfleet again and, and will work on Deep Space Nine with Kira. So post the series continuity. Right. So what happened after the right. last episode of DS9? Like, like season eight. <laughs> okay. Right. Which which is pretty cool. And then, um, but what's also cool about that concept when they did that is that Paramount got the comic book uh, publisher, which was Wildstorm at that time, and the novel continuity all on the same page, which was the first time they ever did did anything like that. Usually, the comic continuity, the novel continuity, completely separate. But uh, they actually like you know these are the events that happened after season seven of Deep Space Nine, and and both of them went with that uh, with Roby and their stories. Yeah, right. Cool. So we'll see her again. I think. Okay. I'm pretty sure that comic book series had has her in it, but right. uh, it might be before she shows up. I can't remember. Okay. But anyways, I love. I still Ro. like my theory, but I will bow to the. I will bow to the. The fact is probably wrong. Well, how about this? Uh, I like uh, I like Rose Ride at the end. I, I think. Ship. Yeah, I think it looks pretty cool. Little hot rod. It, it is awesome, but yeah. wh- where was it, and why did nobody see it before? Exactly. <laughs> the ships come to and fro all the time, so. So this one's just fun. floating out near the near the station. Well, you would think that most ships would actually be docked. Right. But it definitely didn't appear to be docked. Uh-uh. It did appear to be just floating there. I, what, uh, for those of you that don't have the comic, it kind of almost sort of looks like a like a little Defiant. A little that, tiny baby Defiant. Exactly, but with a, a nacelle stuck on the very top also. Right, like a Enterprise D nacelle nestled S- on the top. Exa- sort of, yes. So... Uh, I, I don't know whether the side things that look like engines, you know, like like uh, like the Defiant has. Right. I don't know if those are engines too, but if it does, it's got three engines. So for us on a small ship. So, so that, that bad boy would be fast. That bad boy would be quite fast. <laughs> nah, I like that ship. I wish yeah. they would have shown the whole thing because the only the only shot they show is kind of half covered up by the panel before it. Right. Yep, and only from one angle, obviously. Right. Yep, I liked it. Yeah. So, in in your earlier comment about uh, things you're not supposed to think about too hard. Right. So, you know, I've never been part of the military or anything like that, but if you ask to go on a mission... Right. And your boss says, are you wanting to do this because it's personal? (laughs) And And he says no because you won't admit that it's personal and then as soon as you say yes I admit it's I want to go for personal reasons well go ahead <laughs> <laughs> you want to get your revenge of course I'm not going to stand in line I'm not going to stand in the way of that I just thought a that little, was a weird. little irresponsible yeah he wouldn't let him go until he admits that yes it's personal well, as long as you're honest about it go ahead you big knuckle ahead knock yourself out <laughs> I thought that was really weird. Yeah. What else you got? I thought it was kind of forced in the beginning how Roe could have kicked (laughs) O'Brien into Mr. Fantastic Odo. Yeah. Uh, Because when you first see Roe captured, Odo's got her real good. 
I mean, he's got his tentacle arm, very handy, by the way, wrapped around her several times and around her neck. So so the end of the tentacle is like around her neck. So the idea that she would be able to kick O'Brien hard enough into Odo that he would unwind all those tentacles seem unlikely, but... Right. And he's not the only one that has her. I mean, there's other ones that have her at, you know, phaser point. Right. So so nobody shot her? That's and it shows right. one guy trying to shoot her, but she's able to duck out of the way. But I just, I, yeah. I had a hard time with that one, too. Right. She's just that good. Uh, apparently so. Now, mind you, for the story, she had to get away. And we get, sure. we understand that, but really, it just seems forced. Yes. And but, she wasn't even the one that did it. Which gets back to the other point. Where did Ayla shoot from? Right. Because it looks like there are people behind... Row, so they didn't see what Row was doing just before the phaser blast came through. I don't know. I would have thought somebody would have seen and would have seen that odds are the phaser beam came from further away, behind uh, her, as right. opposed to from her. And that's the other thing. Does she? She doesn't have. I don't see a gun when she's captured. Is there? No, no, she doesn't have anything. Yeah, so it's like, well, where's the gun? Everybody? Anyway. I mean, if she supposedly did it. Right. I mean, they show the gun on page two, on the top of page two, but Um, I I question that it's even a phaser because it actually goes all the way through the person. It hits him in the back and then comes out of his chest. Right. Phasers don't do that. Well, maybe if you set it on top setting, most powerful setting. I, well, I've that, never seen that. That just but. disintegrates you. You turn into a little light blob and disappear. Yeah, but this looks cool. <laughs> I think they went for the cool factor. Right. I think I think they put it on projectile mode. <laughs> <laughs> Impaling mode. Set to impale. Actually, you know what? Look at page uh, three where it, okay. it shows Odo with the tentacles. Right. You can see Ayla running off. On the back of oh, behind those right. two security guys. Behind the other guys. Yeah, good point. I didn't notice that when I first right. read it. So she's further behind. So she's behind them. So the guy who's got the the Bajoran with the gun pulled, and then there's a Starfleet guy even behind him. I mean, they didn't see where the blast came from? Which apparently was probably behind them. Right. Anyway. Good, good observation, though. I did not notice her leaving... At least now. I think I might have seen that before when I was doing the first reading, but right. uh, I definitely did not notice it at, you know, today. But you didn't know it was going to be a mystery when mm. you read it the first time. A murder mystery. Who did it? Yeah, I thought it was pretty obvious it was Roe at this point. But... Right. A little too obvious. Mm, indeed. Stacking the deck against mis- uh, misdirection by the author. Speaking of misdirection... Um, what's with the Goldicott showing up for those that one or two pages? And you know, are, are we supposed to think that he's going to attack the station if this guy dies? Or I don't know exactly because it seems like it's unnecessary. Right. I mean, you might say to yourself, "Well, a high-ranking diplomat gets shot." You know, you think that that they'd at least be calling Cisco. Right. But they went further than that. Right. Now that's and, not the ship he departed from, is it? See, I don't know. I, I didn't act like it was. But if it was Goldicott showing up after the guy got shot, then 
how did he not notice Rose ship just floating there next to Deep Space Nine? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of. I didn't understand why Ducat was there and what was he really doing if he wasn't trying to figure out what was going on. Yeah. I guess it was just supposed to be a threat. Oh, well, if we don't figure this out, they're going to get us. Well, it ratchets it ratchets up the uh, the urgency. Mm. It does do that. Um, but the thing is, how could they have responded so quickly? Unless, of course, they were involved in ferrying the diplomat there. Um, yeah. And and why do you need two ships for that? But right. Yeah. And what was the diplomat there doing? Was he just there as like a tour, or was he well, actually going to meet with somebody? I, I think it was. Uh, I thought it. I thought they said at the beginning it was more like a uh, mending fences kind of show of diplomacy, that kind of thing. Right. I think that's what they said. Do you think but... he would have been meeting with some Federation, you know, ambassadors or something? But right. They never. They never show anybody else there. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I mean, the only person that they could possibly be there to see is, well, Kira and Cisco. Big deal. I mean, not even Akai is there, so. Right. Or Spock. You know, ambassador <laughs> or Spock. Spock. There, okay, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> now, that would have been cool. Bring Spock in. Yeah, it doesn't cost you anything. Or would it? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so. No. Once you got the rights, or are there limitations to who you can... Uh, they usually have limitations, which is which is kind of funny that they brought in Roe and uh, Thomas Riker right. uh, in the next issue because those would be under the next generation list of characters, I would think. Right. Although Thomas was in an episode of Deep Space Nine, so he might have ah, those gray points, but Roe never was. Hmm. Well, she must have been minor enough. Okay, that's all I have to say about this one. All right. Uh, my last thing is the uniforms. I mm-hmm. like seeing Roe in the um, Deep Space Nine uniform. Mm-hmm. It's the only time we see her in that. And it is odd that in the cover she has the headband on, and then the rest of the show she doesn't have her normal headband on. Right. And I liked that they kept the earring on the other side of her head. Mm-hmm. That's different than all the other Bajorns. Ah. It would have been easy for the artist to... Get the wrong side. Stick it on the same side all the other Bajorans use. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a nice uh, attention to detail. Cool. I did not notice that. I guess if they, I guess if they had the headscarf there, it would make it even less reasonable that they would look so much alike. Right. You know, yeah. about the same size. You know, both dark hair, same haircut. Okay, but same headband. <laughs> now you're just pushing the line. You're, you're exactly. going too far. You're going too far over the line. <laughs> anyway, so I, I thought it was an okay episode. You know, not one of my all-time favorite. Oh, yeah. But it was okay. It was good. It was decent. It was okay. I agree okay. with you. All right, that's it for me. Okay. So in that case, let us move on to issue 29. This begins a two-parter, which includes... Uh, an old character from the next-gen continuity, as Donovan had alluded to earlier. Spoiler, sorry about that. That's okay. The title is Soul Asylum, Part 1. October 1995 is the published date. Writer, interestingly enough, is Mark Panacea, who is normally an editor. So, interesting transition. 
I suppose most editors might start out as writers or in some other role in comic book production, but interesting going back, you know, the other way. Penciler is Rod Wiggum. Inker is Terry Pallett. Letterer, Dave Lamphere. Color design, Moose Bauman. Interior computer color, Malibu. And there's a different editor now, who is Phil Crane. So, maybe a bit of a transition in the late days of the comic. The cover shows what appears to be Will Riker in his Starfleet uniform, ripped and tattered. He is being physically restrained by two Cardassians that have hand disruptors pointed at Riker. The text at the top says, Thomas Riker, trapped on Cardassia. It also says, plus, the mirror Tuvok. Ooh, two stories? Hmm, let's find out. Captain Sisko is in the Defiance speeding towards Cardassian space on a secret mission. He does not know all the details of his mission until he plays a pre-recorded message, which he'll be doing soon. However, he does know a few things so far, and he is to pay a visit to the High Council of Cardassia Prime, and his mission is of Priority One status. The scene shifts to a room on Cardassia Prime, where Lieutenant Thomas Riker sits restrained in what is likely a tool of torture. He is sweating at the hands of his Cardassian torturer, named Dr. Sem Veris, who turns out to be a scientist, not a military man. Be that as it may, the scientist tells Riker quite clearly that he will know everything he needs to know about Riker, one way or another. The scientist's colleague, Kerr Jana, yells in frustration at their technological approach to getting the truth out of Riker, which continues to fail. As they continue speaking, we find out that a leading geneticist named Dr. Duran Knoll will be arriving tomorrow, and they have every confidence that all secrets will be known tomorrow, even if she has to damage Riker to get them. Villainous Cardassians. In Sisko's ready room on the Defiant, he views the pre-recorded message from Starfleet Command. He is to negotiate for the release of Thomas Riker. Since he fell into the Cardassians' hands after stealing the Defiant and attempting to attack the Cardassian government, they have been trying to figure out the secret of his duplication. They want to pervert it to create a limitless source of soldiers that they could use to wage war on anyone. They have authorized Sisko to use a mineral-rich planetoid near the border of Cardassian space as a bargaining chip. Sisko gets word from the bridge that they have entered Cardassian space, and a welcoming party of two Cardassian warships are there to meet him. A channel is opened, and Gull Amark introduces himself and Gull Dracos, who's in the other ship. Their ships will escort the Defiant to Cardassia Prime. On Cardassia Prime, the new scientist Dr. Knoll is met by the other scientist and brought to the Hall of Science where she is reviewing Riker's case. She is fascinated by the story of his transporter accident that left him stranded alone for eight years with nothing to help his sanity but his own will to survive. She meets with her superiors who make it very clear why she is to learn the secret that created Thomas Riker. They must know how they can clone an army of perfect soldiers from one perfect soldier. Thomas is alone in his cell, contemplating whether the attack was worth it. 
all his crewmen lost, himself placed into another solitary situation, not all that long after his release from his eight years of solitude. A burly soldier enters Riker's cell and roughly takes him for more experimentation. The brutality of the guard surprises Dr. Knoll. In the lab, Dr. Knoll prepares her equipment to start the examination. Will tells her his creation was a twist of fate. He has no secrets to tell her. She is wasting her time. Dr. Knoll says that is not what her government thinks, and she is here to find out the truth on that point. Meanwhile, on the Defiant, Sisko is at the con, thinking about what it must have been like for Thomas Riker to live through the cruel events fate had waiting for him. He breaks his reverie and asks a crewman to prepare a second comm badge for him that has all of its circuits removed. Sisko is contacted by Gallimark, and they make arrangements to meet at specific coordinates on the surface of Cardassia Prime. Sisko makes his way to the transporter and states he is going down alone, and quite frankly he expects to be coming back the same way. In the lab, Dr. Knoll and Dr. Semveris are discussing the latest results. Thomas is a perfect duplicate of Will Riker, which is amazing. The best cloning techniques even have some small amount of variation. They were hoping the differences would tell more about the process that created Thomas. Dr. Knoll orders everyone else out so she can have a word with Thomas alone. She tells him her tests verify that he is only nine years old. He is a perfect duplicate memories and all from Will Riker. If the method that created him could be divined, it would be a powerful weapon for her people. They could make limited numbers of not only perfect physical soldiers, but they would have all the memories and training of the original soldier. This would all be too powerful a weapon. She says she cannot allow her people to get such a weapon. Unfortunately for them both, Dr. Semveris is at the door listening to every word. To be continued. Oh, that's not good. No. No, you you want to keep your voice down when you're talking about, <laughs> well, turning on your, on your own uh, government. Right. Although something definitely did occur to me is, if you are trying to get the secrets out of somebody that they may actually know something about the process that created them. This would be a way to get Riker to trust her. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking at the time, too. Yeah. I won't tell you if I was uh, correct or not. <laughs> you better not. No spoilers. So, uh, can I just mention something real quick? Yes. I thought the idea of creating a clone army based on the transporter effect was brilliant. I had never yes. thought of it before. Yeah. And when they mentioned it, I was like, yeah, that's, of course that's what you would do with that knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, if you were, uh, you know, bent on, well, it's like the Clone War. So it's like, well, if you can make clones, uh, why wouldn't you to make an army? Right. I but mean, then... that is if you, if you had uh, a significant threat at your doorstep. Now, of course, in this, the case of the bad guys, the Cardassians, they want to be the significant threat at everybody's <laughs> doorstep. But. Right. But I, I really thought that was a great idea, and, I'm, and I, it really got me wondering why they've never tried this before. Because 
Thomas Riker's not the first transporter accident they've ever had in the Star Trek universe. <laughs> yeah, but this one, as opposed to splitting somebody, right, uh, which could not live long term alone, this was this was different. True. It was a little different. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a cloned person. Right. With all the same memories, training, it's like, how do you... Yeah. Well, even how a transporter works. And, you know, okay, <laughs> it, it's enough that you can say, okay, physically you can scan every detail about the person down to the molecule and then recreate them someplace else. Well, so that's matter. Um, memories, how are memories stored? Electrically? I, I don't know. But how can you transport and recreate all those intangibles, such as memory and life experience and all that kind of stuff? Right. So I, I always thought that was kind of like something that seemed unlikely about a transporter, added to the list of unlikely things about a transporter. Uh, <laughs> but But then, you know, but I guess if you can do all that, with a transporter working normally, then why couldn't you make a duplicate? Right. And it's cool. Well, it's, yeah, but if you think... It's just a right. cool concept. Oh, it's a cool concept. But if you think about how a transporter works, and this is something they always gloss over, is you really are making a duplicate. Right. And you really would have to destroy the original, wouldn't you? Yes. I mean... We've all, yeah. yeah, we've talked about this before, I think, but... Right. Yeah, no. And, you know, they've they've there's been a few stories where they've touched on that. You know, there was that one in the comic books, there was that one where uh original series folks went to a planet that they had to wear those headbands because every time they got beamed it would reset their molecules to when they were younger. So they never aged. Oh. So, I mean, they've kind of dealt with that and and even in this story um, the doctor, uh, Noel, I think, says that you know the reason why she doesn't think that he's a duplicate is because you know there, there's you can't you know basically it almost sounded like you can't recreate someone's memories and their their being who they are in two different bodies at the same time. So well, it was like you know mumbo jump, you know, it was techno babble or whatever. But I actually thought that that was the kind of explaining why you couldn't um, well and, and I thought she was comparing traditional cloning methods where you're really getting a, you're getting a new person but the same DNA DNA yeah right. the same DNA pattern so obviously no memories are transferred and you start out as a baby right. so you know that's not ideal if you want to be doing carbon copy soldiers no because you don't want to have to that's basically the Jimadar. Oh, oh! It, they were clones. Okay. Well, they're genetically modified, but still, they have to be born and right live out their life. Right, right. And it, it is accelerated, but still, right. They have to go and, through and, the life process. And a, right, and apparently, at the kind of uh, cloning techniques that they've, that there might be in Cardassia science and in the Federation, you know, there might be accelerated growth with clones, but. Um, yeah, you definitely can't transfer life experience and that kind of stuff. Right. But anyways, like I said, I, I really liked that idea. I was kind of chastising myself a little bit for 
never coming up with it on my own. Damn! <laughs> I was like, how did I never see this before? This is awesome. <laughs> I hope they succeed, but they're bad. But I got, but it's still cool. Uh, yeah, but then you got a situation like uh, like Thomas is in. I mean, he knows that he's as much Will Riker as the one right. we know and love, but it's like you went on, you, you know, there was a branch in your code base, and you developed differently from that right. point on. But he's as valid a Riker as the original one. Absolutely. So. Right, and... Um... Yeah, I mean, I've always loved the Thomas Riker story. Yeah, the you know that he he thinks he's still you know he he is still Will Riker. Um, yeah. And I always thought it was kind of weird that he changes his name to Thomas and he seems okay okay with it. Um, well, that's just a practical matter. But more for us than him. I mean, he he would well, still think of himself as Will because that's what he yeah, spent but, you know forty something years of his life doing thirty something. And I suppose if you're not actually in the vicinity of of the other Will Riker, you know, you know, there, there's no confusion. I mean, obviously, if you were in the same room, you can't say Will, and then they both turn. Um, but as from an identity standpoint, he needs to start with a new identity. I mean, or right. at least some some label that people can, lay, you know, refer to him as as a second person. Right. So I see the practical need of that, a different name, but yeah, so he's kind of well, he's pretty screwed <laughs> you know, the, the woman he still loves is moved on um, and he also knows that he moved on, I mean, he, he took paths that he says he would have never gone, he thought he would have never gone down, right. and that in itself was, was a shock, so interesting concept, interesting character study, so yes right Yet another interesting way to look at the human condition. Exactly. And that's what you know Star Trek's all about. Exactly. Exactly. So did you know why Cisco was fiddling with his com badge so much there on page four and five? Well, I guess now I do. But when it was happening I had no idea. Yeah, I was really perplexed as to what was going there on there when he was having that conversation with the... Uh, or he wasn't having a conversation. He was listening to that recorded message. Right. You didn't mention yeah. it in the synopsis, I don't think, but... I did not. Yeah, he takes off his comm badge. He's looking at it. He's turning it over while the Admiral's giving him his orders. Right. And I was just like, man, that is that is weird. What's going on here? Right, yeah, what he, why was he... People don't normally take their comm badges off unless they don't want to be followed like Worf. So right. that is odd. But that's kind of cool because you find out what it was all about later. Right. Yeah, and of course when he orders the guy to, you know, bring him a second comm badge with the guts taken out, it was like, I thought it was part of some sly scheme or something. Same here. Um, so he would put the other one in his pocket... And if they did take him, he'd have a fake com badge, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I certainly wasn't thinking what what happened. Right. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but I, I'm with you. Same thing. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Right. Uh, let's see. Um, I gotta say, this entire issue, Cisco is in his dress uniform. So, th those are the ones that have a very long tunic. You know, right. almost like almost like a, a, a long coat. Like from the 18, 1800s or something. It's a dress. 
Yes. They don't call it dress uniform for nothing. (laughs) Exactly. And the thing (laughs) is, you know... Yeah, you know, you you normally only see them in that for a, a short amount of time. You know, when they when they've shown it on the on TNG, very short amount of time. Then they get back into their normal uniforms. I always thought it was it was a, a bold style decision. You know, which is obviously is very different from today's styles. But you would think styles would change. But I can't get away from the fact, as you have just alluded to, that it looks like a dress. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say that on page 13, because. Because normally you're just standing and like talking and stuff, and you just don't see it for very long on Picard and Riker. But in this one, he's in all kinds of situations in this stupid-looking thing. And on page 13, he's sitting at the con, and his legs are crossed, and he's in this dress thing. I mean, it looks even more like a dress in that situation, and I just have to laugh. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you don't have the actor complaining about being in a dress. They can just draw him all the time in a dress. <laughs> exactly. Let's now, mind you, he, his hair. he's... <laughs> yeah, Sally, come on. You look mighty pretty in that dress. So, he, he, you know, he's got the normal pants and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it really looks like a dress. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I'm not the biggest fan of that. I, n- I never was. Yeah. Even the white one that they wear in... Um, what was it? Insurrection. One. Yeah, oh, the, at the uh, wedding. No, no, that would be Nemesis. Um, mm. With their new uniforms, the black and the gray, yep. they they have a new dress uniform and it was white, but it's still the same style. Okay. I don't remember it from that movie, but cool. Okay. Yeah, Picard wears it for one scene. Right. Cool. Was it a long one too? Yep. Uh. Mm, but just a different color. Right. And maybe and other slight materials. differences. Right. Right, right. Oh, well. White dress, red dress, whatever. <laughs> right. So I, towards towards the end, I thought Riker... I'm oh, sorry, you maybe not done with that topic? Oh, I'm done. Okay. Uh, towards the end of this issue, I was thinking, like, okay, wait a minute. Riker isn't, like, like doing the old Riker charm on this Dr. Noli, right? It's like, woof. She seems to be awful, awful nice. Right. I don't think so. I think no. He's just being a poor, pathetic little Riker with that frown yeah, on his face. Exactly. Isn't he kind of pouty? I mean, if you were in his situation, you probably wouldn't be too happy either. But he's uh, just really, like, just an unhappy little pouty boy. Well, you would be too. He spent eight years alone on, on a planet. He's out for a year. He yeah. does something really stupid and gets caught and sent to a Cardassian labor camp where they're going to do all these experiments on him. Right. He's and had a rough life. Is, yeah, and the thing is, he—I mean, maybe he was at the labor camp, but now he's in solitary. Right. And they're and 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 at the beginning, I said all that stuff looked like it was torture stuff, but it really was—I think it was mostly like diagnostic stuff, you know. Well, in the thought balloons, it seems like he's being tortured. I mean, they're they're very yeah. rough with him. Oh, they're rough with him. Well, definitely the guards are. And he also talks about, uh, oh, no more experimentation where he feels uh, nauseous and uh, what, uh, sore and whatever. Right. Yeah, I think that they're pretty much dissecting him without killing him. I mean, I, don't, I think he's... They're, 
being very brutal with him. Right. Or at least that's what I was getting out of it. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I'm just saying it, it wasn't all just like torturing him to get information out of him, which is the first thing I thought at the beginning of the thing. Oh, right. They're, they're do- I mean, they're doing that too, probably. But really, the secret they're trying to get out of him may be something that, that they acknowledge is nothing that he's going to say, but it's going to be what they can find out about by examining his body. So. Right. Right. Anyway. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. So I liked I liked the artwork in general, and I thought they good did a good job with Riker, where he looks older, still in great shape though for being somebody in solitary confinement, but uh, he looks sufficiently grizzled, unshaven, to some degree, wrinkled, and uh, he looks like kind of downtrodden. But I must say, doesn't his hair look great? <laughs> yes, he has the Riker hair. He has the Riker hair. Now, mind you, there might be a few hairs out of place, but for the most part, he looks pretty clean, and, you know, the hair looks great. Yep. No, he looks good. Yeah. Yep. And I like him in the goatee. I, uh, mm, right. I always thought that was kind of cool that, you know, um, Jonathan Frakes shaved his beard to a goatee so that you could see a visual difference between Thomas Riker and Will Riker. I always thought right. that was... Whoever came up with that idea, it was a great idea. Cool. And that Jonathan Frakes would do it. <laughs> yeah, well, some actors shave all their hair off. That's true. But not very often for TV. No. Usually that's like a movie thing. Yeah, a, sh- a shorter term kind of thing. Because cause as soon as he did that, that means that every scene with Will Riker, they now had to put, you know, fake beard on him. Yeah, that's that's all I have to... Uh, those, those are the end of my comments on this one. Yep, I'm good. So, on to enemies and allies, Let's perhaps? Do the mirror to lock. Exactly. Okay, so we have a second story here, which is not the first time they've done this with the DS9 Malibu issues. It's titled Enemies and Allies, Part 1. So it's a mini-issue, or mini-story in the issue. Co-plotters are Tim Russ and Mark Panacea. So, Tim Russ, of course, Tuvok from Voyager series. The writer is Mark Panacea. Penciler, Rob Davis. Inker, Aubrey Bradford. Letterer, Teresa Davison. Color design, Moose Bauman. Interior computer color, Malibu. Editor is Phil Crane. The Infinite Universe. It seems to stretch on forever in distance, but when you take into account additional dimensions, it is actually an infinite amount of distance, which is multiplied by an infinite number of dimensions. It is huge. This is a mirror universe story, and in this dimension, the Federation never existed. An empire existed instead that eventually fell and was replaced by a cruel alliance between the Klingon and Cardassian empires. In this universe, revenge is the order of the day, which makes it a dangerous place for Terrans and their Vulcan allies. The story opens with a shuttlecraft being chased through space by two Klingon Katinga-class battlecruisers. In the shuttle is Julian Bashir and Mr. Tuvok. They are arguing over evasive maneuvers to avoid the photon torpedoes exploding around them. They decide it is time to send a message to their base reporting their situation and the fact 
that a valuable data chip is on board with the location of a hidden Beta Quadrant rebel base. They are, of course, overheard by the captain of a cloaked Klingon ship located in the shuttle's path. The Klingon commander gloats because they cracked this rebel code long ago and will easily capture the oncoming shuttle. That, and his small pet dragon nestled on his shoulder, is why he thinks he's cooler than everybody else. The shuttle is caught in a tractor beam, and Bashir and Tuvok are transported to Commander Majok's ship. They are thrown in the ship's brig, and told by a vicious Klingon. They may be kept alive long enough to watch their secret rebel base be blown to bits. They now know their transmission was overheard and decoded. The Klingons do not find the data chip in the shuttle, so they scan the prisoners and find it hidden under the skin of Tuvok's right wrist. Commander Majok draws his detang knife and moves towards Tuvok to retrieve the data chip. To be continued. Man, that was quick. It was quick. It was short. It's a it's a short multi-parter. Right. So what do you think? Um, well, I'll tell you this. What? I've been really looking forward to reading the Tim Russ stories. I knew that, you know, towards the end of the Malibu run, he he wrote two two issues. Okay. I didn't know until we started reading these that they were little, you know, six pages at the end of the story. I thought I thought it was ah. going to be the whole issue. So when right. we actually got to this issue, I was a little disappointed that it wasn't the full issue. Mm-hmm. You know, because I like the Mirror Universe, and I wouldn't mind seeing how that Tuvok played in it, you know, aside right. from his little cameo on the show. Right. Um, so I, it didn't live up to my expectations just because I wanted more than six pages. Right. But uh, yeah, oh. it's not a horrible story. It's It's... Pretty pretty short and sweet. Yeah, and at this point in the story, I like it quite a bit. I have a... As I'm reading this, and especially when they actually got captured, a thought came to me, which I'm not going to talk about until the next issue, which I think is probably something that may occur to many people. But at this point in the story, I like it. It's pretty cool. It's interesting seeing a Bashir-Tuvok team up. I haven't seen Tuvok, the character, in a long time. So it's cool seeing all that. And the cool thing about the Mirror Universe is you do have <laughs> an incredible amount of uh, stories you could tell. Mm-hmm. You know, situations you can paint. Different characters you can bring together. So it, the whole concept of, the, of multiple dimensions and some of your same characters but being a little different and in, being in different situations in these other universes, I think that makes for a lot of interesting possibilities. So it's cool that they're exercising one of those interesting possibilities in the story. Right. I agree. I like, I, I like, I like the mirror universe. Yeah. I like multiple dimensions, but I like the mirror universe, especially. Right. right. Which, interestingly enough with the whole idea of there being an infinite number of dimensions. There's an infinite number of possibilities out there. It's interesting they keep on coming back to that very similar universe, if not, indeed, not the same universe, which is kind of an interesting point. You know, the one that has a Terran Empire Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. So 
in the next gen or in the original Taz time frame, interesting that there's a uh, a Terran Empire, which Spock supposedly at the end of Mirror Mirror is going to be on a trajectory to maybe bring down or at least change. Right. So it's interesting to see that maybe this is the same specific dimension. Right, it definitely is. Um, well, with an infinite number of variations, do you know that for sure? But it, it, you know, it, it could be a slightly different dimension that isn't that much different. But they could be different ones. But I'm not even going to talk about that. <laughs> to your main point, it probably is the same exact one, and it, it, it has the same framework. Right. But it's interesting to see what happened as time went on into the next-gen Voyager DS9 time frame. Right. Yeah. So in the um, in the first Deep Space Nine episode where they cross over, mm-hmm. I think it's actually called crossover. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. But um, the Nerys, uh, Kira Nerys from that dimension, does talk about the events in Mirror Mirror. Mm-hmm. She talks about how Spock tried to overthrow or tried to change the Federation, but all he did was the Empire. Uh, yeah, yeah, the the Empire. Excuse me. But all he did was, you know, he, he was outed out fairly early, and um, then they had Emperor Tiberius uh, for a while. She, but she actually mentions, you know, Kirk. I'm assuming he's he's Emperor Tiberius. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, that from that point on, it, it got a lot worse. So it was kind of like they were basically saying by Kirk interfering with, you know, Mirror Spock, they made that universe so much worse that it ultimately, you know, uh, got overthrown by the Klingons and the Cardassians. So right, and apparently the Bajorans. Right, right, Bajorans. So I always thought that was funny that the, uh, you know, that you know, you never see what happens after Kirk and Spock zoom off at the end of the episode, and so it was always kind of I always liked that episode because it was like, yeah, they they. They they left. They're ne- they're never coming back. But they really left the the universe in shambles because because of their meddling. Right. But in the end, what's better? I mean, what's worse? Having humans and Vulcans hunted—that's eh, not too good. But that Empire, the Terran Empire, didn't sound too good either. Um, True. So now, well, we'll we can talk more about this in the next issue. Right, because there may be a new trajectory happening by the end of the next issue, which might True. be better. Might be better. Might. might. Yes. Um, let's see. I don't really have any other comments about this that wouldn't give away the next issue. Right. Except for the Klingon, and on the very last page, to yeah. me, looks like George Decay in Klingon makeup. Oh, really? I gotta look at that again. Um, George Takei. Uh, I, I will mention that on the cover of this issue, I think it's uh, interesting th- that the left Cardassian that's holding on to Riker looks a little bit like Garak. Right. Yeah, he does. A little bit. A little bit. Anyway. Uh, going back. And, and I thought it was kind of an interesting little uh, story at the end about Riker. So there's a little essay there talking about Thomas Riker. I didn't read it all. Okay. I didn't, in fact, I don't think I read any of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I'm looking at it, and uh, yeah, he does kind of look like George Decay. Not that you mentioned it. Didn't notice that. 
So, anyways, you have any other comments? Did you want to talk about the essay? Yeah, just briefly. Just to say there is a nice little one-page essay there where Chris Kipiniak is just writing a little essay about what he thinks about the character of Thomas Riker. And I thought it was interesting that his opening sentences, there is something frightening about the character of Thomas Riker. So I thought, oh, frightening. Hmm, that's a pretty strong word. But I guess it probably is a good point. Right. I mean, definitely I thought of him uh, a character that is an unfortunate character, especially when he compounds a situation by joining the Maquis and getting caught. But uh, I, I wouldn't have used the word frightening, but uh, maybe. Tragic. Tragic, Tragic is a good word. That would a good be a word. good word. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I know this is easier said than done, but Thomas Riker, you know, when you when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. And I don't think he did that. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess he was a lieutenant and he got on a, a different ship. Right. Um, so he was in, in the Starfleet proper and able, or at least beginning to make a new life for himself. Uh, I don't remember the de- – did they go into details of how he got derailed and joined the Maquis? Yeah, there's that one episode of uh, Deep Space Nine right. where, where he just yeah. briefly talks about it. Okay. I, I can't remember I don't the remember specifics. the details. Right. Okay. I, I, I want to watch that episode again, but right. I can never find the time. Right. So he could have become as productive as Will Riker was, but in his own right. I mean, he right. could have done that, but maybe by being, being rebellious or maybe – needing to make a name for himself independent, he went down this path? I don't know. Right. But it's unfortunate, the path he chose. Right. And, I mean, uh, I'll tell you next issue because I don't want to give away anything. Okay. How it ends. Right. Yeah, in the end, he obviously had all the potential that Will Riker had. <clears throat> right. It's just he didn't capitalize on it in a productive way. He's just at least eight, in my eight years behind. Right. Yeah, so he could have become an excellent officer. He could have matured into a great officer like Will Riker did, but didn't. Right. All right, we done? Let's go to the next one. All right, so the next one is Soul Asylum Part 2, issue number 30. Uh, what was the cover date on this one? December? November. Uh, well, hold on. I think, oh, this one's October. Yeah, I've, I've, got, I've got November, but... Unless my notes are wrong. Oh, yeah, November. Nope, you're right. Yeah, so this came out in November of 1995. The writing and art staff is the exact same from issue 29, so I won't go over that. The cover shows Thomas Riker strapped into a chair, and then behind him is a large monitor that shows Thomas's face. Uh, a female Cardassian and Cisco are shown walking away from the chair with worry in their eyes. A small circle window at the bottom shows Tuvok's face, and the caption reads, The Fate of Thomas Riker, plus An Adventure of Mirror Tuvok. Tuvok. Wacky. <laughs> it's a we- weird way to way to put it. Plus, An Adventure. Anyways. Alright, so the female Cardassian, uh, who from the last issue is named uh, Duran Knoll, is telling Thomas that she believes his story on his creation. Uh, But she tells him that the Cardassian people can never know because they would recreate, uh, or they would recreate the incident to create a clone army. Uh, As Ken mentioned, the Cardassian doctor can be seen 
on the other side of a doorway listening into the whole conversation. In a council room of some sort, Sisko can be seen making his plea to the Cardassian leaders to have Riker return to Federation custody. Sisko is telling the councilmen that the Federation want to make an example out of Riker to prove to people that it does not matter who your family is, you will be punished for joining the Maquis. In a conference room, the Cardassian scientists are meeting to discuss what they think of Thomas Riker. They state that his DNA matches to the DNA of William Riker 100%. Noel says that they need to prove that the brain scans for this Riker needs to be compared to William Riker. Otherwise, they will not know if he's a true identical clone. As they are talking, a Cardassian warrior arrives and tells the scientists that their time is short since the Federation has sent a delegation to request the release of Riker. They need to know as soon as possible if he can help the Cardassian people. Noel then visits with Riker. He tells her his story about the transporter cloning and the seven years he spent on the planet. And how the only thing that got him through it was the love for one woman. Later, Sisko meets with Noel and she tells him that she knows that Riker is telling the truth about the transporter accident. But she can never let the Cardassians know. She asks for Sisko to do what he can to help her cover up the truth. Later, Sisko is informed that the Cardassians will not be releasing Riker, despite the offer of the planet Delcar 7. Sisko agrees, but asks to visit with Thomas before leaving. His visit with Riker is pretty sad. Thomas knows that he will never be released. Sisko gives him the hollowed-out communicator badge as a reminder of his time with Starfleet. Sisko then beams back to the Defiant and starts heading home. The Cardassians contact Sisko, and they're puzzled why he left without much of a fight to get Riker back. Sisko said his job was to offer the planet and then to return home. The Cardassian is then left believing that there is nothing special about Riker. Otherwise, Sisko would have fought harder. Later, Dr. Knoll presents her findings to the Council. She states that Riker is actually from an alternate dimension, not a transporter clone. There would be no way to replicate the transporter event that brought him to this universe. The Council agrees with her and orders that Riker to return to the labor camp and that the studies for creating a clone army are to be shelved. Noel and the man who was eavesdropping earlier have a conversation. He tells her that he trusts her on why she would keep such knowledge secret. Later, we see Riker being taken to the labor camp, and he's happy that he's going to get to see the stars again, and he dreams of someday returning to them. The end. Oh, poor Thomas. Yeah, he gets... <laughs> I really feel bad for him. Yeah, I feel bad for him. But in the end, I mean, he was a rebel that was taking an action that was not condoned by Starfleet, and certainly not the Cardassians. So, he's getting his comeuppance. So we can't forget that. But no. I, yes, I do I do feel uh, sorry for the man. Right. Yep. It's like a guy who gets out of jail, and then as soon as he gets out, he does something bad again and gets put back in. 
he spent seven years in jail for something he didn't do, i.e. Right. the planet, and then he, he gets out, and then immediately he's put back in jail because he actually did something wrong. Yeah, but that isn't a good point. I mean, the first time it was not – he did nothing wrong. I mean, it wasn't his doing. Uh, the second time, though, it was definitely a conscious decision on his part. Right. I think he just wanted to try to prove that he wasn't William Riker. If I agree. I mean, I, I'm sure he had good motivations, too. I mean, wanting to uh, to help the people that were still in the disputed lands. Right. But I think he also saw this as a way of doing something big. I mean, right. what, what did Riker do? He saved the entire stinking Federation against a Borg attack. That's pretty big. How do you top that one? And uh, he probably felt pressure to, to do something. And he found it with the Maquis. Right. True. So, what did you think of the story overall? Did you did you like it? Uh, you know, I liked it. In many ways, it was unsatisfying because Riker is still stuck. Cisco mm-hmm. uh, didn't pull off the great coup and get him back. But on the other hand, at least it was a little bit more, I don't know, realistic. Uh, right. Because basically, you know, a miracle didn't occur. Thomas wasn't sprung, and uh, you know, that's just the way life goes often in reality so I kind of liked it from that standpoint now do you think that he would do you think that Cisco would have fought harder if he hadn't talked to Noel and she asked him for help do you think this was the help that she asked for hmm to not try too hard hmm that's a good point so, and that's what I like about a story that has multiple layers to it. That's a good point, and I really hadn't thought of that. But I think you're right. Right, because otherwise, I don't understand what uh, they were, what she was wanting him to do. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that was just my thought as to what was going on. Right. So don't fight so hard for him to make them think he's no big deal. Right. Yep. Because otherwise, they'll just hold on to him harder, and they'll figure out how to exactly clone an army right and so Cisco consciously gave up and didn't fight harder to spring Thomas so he's basically the sacrificial lamb in this story right yep that's what I was wondering if, if yeah. that's what they were going for that's a good point Donnie I think you're right and that's that's a tough call it's a very tough call because he was basically he could think of it as him being responsible for, you know, dooming Thomas to, uh, well, probably a life sentence. Right. Absolutely. But he did get himself into it also, so it isn't all Cisco's fault. Right. Yep. And if yeah, he wasn't... I, I, yeah, go ahead. And if he didn't get himself into the Cardassian hands in the first place, this whole idea wouldn't have even come up. Or at least they wouldn't. The Cardassians wouldn't be in a position to to capitalize on it anyway, because they wouldn't have had Thomas to experiment on. Right. So. Yep, that's what I was thinking at least. Yeah. So it's it's good because it's a more <clears throat> multi-layered, interesting story than probably a lot of the typical ones, which are a little bit more. Um, I hate to say cookie cutter, but you know, similar stories main characters are put in a, a tough situation they figure out a way to get out of it and usually 
life is great after at the end of the story. <laughs> so right. this had a lot more stuff going on, and it had a, uh, you know, it didn't have a a happy ending at the end. Yeah, it didn't have a happy ending at all. Yeah, well, except for the fact that the Cardassian potential threat of trying to uh, create transporter clones army, at least that was avoided. So that's kind of a victory, but yeah, it's a <laughs> hollow victory. Yes, yes. Uh, and yep. apparently, well, okay, I was going to say something, I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Riker gets out of solitary and gets to go to a labor camp. Yay! It's like being on a vacation. <laughs> and then I... And the badge thing, I just don't get it. I mean, that wasn't the badge that he had for the eight years that he was sitting on the planet. I mean, True. That's, that's the new badge. Mm-hmm. That he only wore for a very short amount of time. Yep. Why would he... What would that really give him? Right. And didn't they kind of admit to that? I mean, didn't didn't Cisco... Was it Cisco that had some thoughts? About, like, what would he really... Or was it Riker himself? But but there was some concession in there that... I think it was Cisco, Where he was thinking, you know, I'm not even sure what this is going to mean to him. You know... I mean, it, it might be a positive thing to give him something to hold on to because he certainly right. doesn't have Deanna anymore. No. Um, so is it something that he will look at as, uh, you know, a symbol of something that he was a part of in good times? Or will it be a symbol of the... Everything uh, he lost. Exactly. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't Again, get it. it. To me, I wouldn't yeah. have been that, that happy with that. <laughs> right. But again, it's ambiguous. It's like, right. you're do. I mean, Cisco had the idea of doing it that it might help, so he took a shot, but he didn't know. Right. And we don't know either. Although Riker seems to be holding on to it. Right. In a positive way. We don't really know for sure. Ambigu- ambiguity in a story. And you like that. You like the ambiguity. I do like ambiguity, within reason. <laughs> you know, don't make it too amb- ambiguous. Like the end of... of when I first saw 2001 A Space Odyssey and then Star Child is at the end it's like I was going WTF I mean I wasn't saying WTF because I was like 11 or something or whatever or 9 I don't know I was pretty young the first time I saw it right and it was like uh what I have no idea what just happened (laughs) and I really didn't know until like late high school so I mean some things can be a bit too ambiguous right (laughs) But I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, I thought uh, Cisco looked like a linebacker in a red and black dress on page eight. Page eight. Page eight. He's walking oh, yeah. next to. He's walking next to another really big, Cardassian uh, guy, a soldier of some kind, right. and they both look massive. Well, it makes sense for the Cardassian because he's wearing that big armor, but Cisco. Does look huge. He's wearing, uh, yeah, he, yeah, in a dress. <laughs> he's, he's got the shoulder pads and everything. He's, he's exactly, exactly. Uh, you're right. You are right. Yeah. I, again, I thought the art was pretty good. Um, the coloring, it, you know, good mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, and the cover. I love the cover. Oh, yeah, the cover does look very nice. Except for the little circle of Tuvok. That's just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I especially think uh, I, I like the look on Cisco's face. 
I think there's a there's a complex look of concern, and I think that looks good. So, were you satisfied with the whole Cardassian eavesdropping at the end of last issue? What were they going to oh. go with that? I thought that was unneeded. I mean, just yeah. a throwaway line at the end. Well, if you had good reasons to lie, how could I argue with you? Give me a hug. Yeah. <laughs> <It seemed> weird. <laughs> well, okay, so did we know at the beginning... I don't remember that the other doctor was her assistant for 18 years or whatever she said. No, I, I didn't know any of that. Yeah, Until right. they said it there on page 15, and I was exactly. just like, really? You had me sitting here wonder how you were going to betray her? Exactly. The whole issue. Exactly. And then it's just like, oh, well, you must have had good reasons. <laughs> exactly. So in those council chambers or whatever, when she was giving a report, I was expecting the other doctor to be saying, you're a traitor. Exactly. But, yeah, didn't happen. Which I guess is the reason why it's there. We kept waiting for something, and uh... well, well, I know. I think it was there mainly to give a cliffhanger to the first issue, right? So you know, a lot of, for better or for worse, a lot of comic stories end on something to to bring you back next month to buy that issue next month, right? And if they didn't have that, well, I mean, th- I think that kicked up the urgency of the story. Or right. you want to say, ooh, they're in trouble now. How are they going to get out of this one? So so do you like the way they split the story into two instead of making it just no, one I issue? No, I never like that. Yeah, I still don't understand why they couldn't have made the Mirror Universe story one issue and the Riker story another issue. Well, I, yeah. I mean, I, I think in the end they thought they had more story to tell than would fit in one issue. But maybe not. A, they didn't want to put as much filler in it <laughs> to fully make two issues. So, yeah, because there are times when there are multiple issues. I think we both pointed out in the review that there are lots of times we have multiple part issues, story arcs that seem. Eh, there's some filler here. This could have right. been shorter. Right. Right. And uh, it you happens. Know, maybe they didn't have enough story for two issues. So. Ben has to come and deliver a drink or something. <laughs> yes, we have to see some non-sequitur with Alexander. Well, I guess that's that's next gen. But some character you wouldn't expect to see. Right. You know, say something or do something about the storyline. It's like, what? Huh? What's that? That's a waste of a page. Kind of like on this podcast when we go on little tangents. Just Wait a pad, minute. Padding it's the all episode. gold. Padding the episode. It's all gold. <laughs> Not that we need to pad, quite frankly. We're, we go on too long. Right. But... Uh, that's all I have to say about this issue, or this story within Same the issue. Here, so the last eight pages was filled with the Tuvok uh, second part and uh, writing staff. Same exact from last issue, so I'm not going to go over that. The uh, story starts with Tuvok having the chip removed that was underneath his skin last issue. The Bajoran scientist, once he gets it free, he tries to access it with the computer. Uh, hopefully he washed it off first, but uh, it's not said that he did. So he probably just stuck it in there, still gleaming with the green blood. But uh, anyways, he puts it in his computer, and uh, he can't access the files. But a uh, short time later, the ship starts losing power everywhere. Uh, Tuvok takes this opportunity to overpower the Klingon guards and the scientists. Uh, he gets a disruptor free at one point and starts just shooting everybody. 
Tuvok and Bashir make their way up to the bridge. They tell the captain that the chip had a virus in it that uh, not only disabled this ship, but it also disabled the other ships that were in communication with the ship when the chip was activated. The whole thing was a trap. They always planned to get caught. They always planned to have the chip removed. They always planned to do all this to get to get the uh, you know to, to to knock out these Klingon ships. The captain tries to fight back. He he tries to pull out a disruptor, uh, but he is actually stabbed in the back by one of his own crew. And then we find out that there's actually a Klingon underground movement that's willing to take the side of the resistance. The end. <laughs> Short and sweet. Short and sweet indeed. Okay, so like I might have alluded to in the first part of this story, I I kind of knew that it was all a setup, or at least I thought it was a setup anyway. Right. I think you did too. And yep. the only thing is that twist at the end where some of the Klingons turned on their own commander I thought was unexpected, forced and unlikely, but in the end and I don't know whether this makes it better or worse it puts it on a trajectory that maybe the Alpha Quadrant will head to something where you don't have vicious empires uh, just controlling everything right maybe Maybe I see what you're saying, but my whole thing is I don't understand what was Tuvok's goal in goal. I mean, I get the whole he purposely got caught because he had the virus chip in his arm, and right. But once they disabled the ship and maybe the other ones that were around it, what was he going to do? Steal the ships? Kill all the Klingon crew members? I didn't understand what his what was the next step of his original plan. I don't know, but I would have thought they would have been, uh, at the very least, disabling two enemy ships, which right. whether all this was worth it, I don't know. But actually being able to capture the ships would have been handy. Right. You know, these are some pretty, they're full-size, yeah, they're, they're you know, ships. Right. So Absolutely. they would be handy ships to have. But I thought what was going to happen is, before we found out that it was basically a Independence Day virus, <laughs> um, is that I thought they were going to, like, I, mean, I thought there was it was basically a trap. I mean, they were going to go to the coordinates. They would the resistance would be waiting there for them, and then you know take them out. But uh, this was smarter in the fact they were able to disable the ships and not even fire a shot. Right. And right. by the way, was there were three ships, right? So I, yeah, three. Did I miss something? I know the first ship got taken out, and then the the second one. Okay, so. That the 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 information was transmitted not only to the second ship but also to the third ship, right? Right. Okay. Right. I, I wasn't quite sure what happened to the third ship. And okay. Yeah, because the the <clears throat> scientists tried to send it to to all the ships to, to try to crack it or whatever. Okay. But I I thought that the way Tuvok explains how it would multiply would that it would somehow travel to all ships that were in in contact with that ship when when the uh, ship was activated. Oh, they actually went that far with it? Okay. I don't know. I'd have to go back and reread the thing, but I thought that's what they said. Right. If not, they should have. <laughs> <laughs> yes, take but, out uh, the entire alliance with this. With, with one arm chip. Right. 
yeah, I just didn't understand what, what Tuvok was going to get out of it, except, like you said, maybe take out a couple of ships or steal the ships. But once he found out that there's a couple of Klingons that are willing to side with the Resistance, would he, okay, well, you can have your ship back. Just just be good. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know where the story was, what would happen on you know the next page. If right. If there was a next page. Right. Well, you know, obviously, a part of the crew switching over their side couldn't have been part of the original plan. Right. <laughs> right. That was a happy bonus. Right. Which seemed pretty stinking unlikely, quite frankly. And how many people would really do it as opposed to, you know, maybe that one guy that stabbed the captain in the back, and then the other one's like, well, I don't want to be stabbed in the back, but I don't want to be part of the resistance, but I'll just go with it for now. Go along and I, with it, yeah. And then I'm going to stab you in the back as soon as Tuvok doesn't have a, a blaster on me. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, they 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 got to have they got to have a, a decent sized crew. Mm-hmm. So and it's going to be a mixture. Some people are going to be loyal to the captain, and some people maybe to these guys. Plus, right. there's two other ships there. Right. I mean, who knows what those guys are thinking? Right. You know, they're they're highly unlikely. So, so basically, in this story, these two Klingon guys are basically like uh, original Spock in the Mirror Mirror Universe thing. They come around to the idea that maybe a brutal dictatorship isn't the best way to go. Uh, maybe that's what they were going for, to try to mirror that dynamic from that first maybe. episode. Maybe. Anyways, it's not a horrible story. I think it could have... It should have been longer so that you could get more out of it as to what the, ne- what the next step would have been. Right. Um, you know, th- that, that's my biggest beef, that it needed to... Needed to... Uh, have a little bit more explanation right and I don't know it, what this one wasn't so bad but the last issue every time the Klingon would say something they would have to translate you know this is actually worm tongue or whatever you know he was ah. saying and yeah. then they were like you know this is reference to Deep Space Nine episode blah blah this yeah, is I, reference I, to Star Trek the original series episode blah blah you know yeah, and it was just yeah, like I, okay. I hated that I mean, they had a lot of that. I mean, they, they even uh, there's little blue boxes even in this issue where they're they're ex- they're explaining what a uh, Dick Tang is. Right, right. And it's like he used the word. He you had the knife it. in his hand. <laughs> Context. I mean, how many times have they have they pulled out one of those knives, the Klingon knives, and they've used it, and they didn't feel necessary to have a little blue box that tells you uh, that that oh that that means it's a Vulcan blade. Yeah, right. Knife. Exactly. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right. Nope. I agree. Uh, I did not. Uh, I did not understand why they had to over-explain it. Yeah. Now, it, to have the mirror mirror universe mentioned once, you know, the that episode, and to have the Deep Space Nine episodes mentioned once, that I get. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I think they just went a little overboard. Right. Like in the in the Riker one, they mentioned you know um, second chances once, and they mentioned the episode Defiant once, right? So right, they mentioned the Next Generation episode, the Deep Space Nine episode, and that was it. They didn't do it every time it was mentioned later. Right, right. Anyways, uh, that's it. So for a six-page comic, you shouldn't have that many. No, that many <laughs> editor notes. Yeah. The last thing I just want to mention is that the uh, Batman versus Captain America. Oh, uh, the the battle art. of the century. Exactly. D 
towards the back of the... versus Marvel Comics. Exactly. Towards the end of the issue, I thought that page was cool. And then, yeah. then I read down, it's like, I, oh, it's it's some kind of bubblegum cards. Okay. Well, that, that based on the comic book miniseries that came out that year. Oh, is that... Re- oh, so there is actually a uh, a comic book with mm-hmm. this. Yeah. Crossover. A, yep. Cool. Yeah, so I got to find that. Oh, you do, because it's pretty good. Is so it? Basically, yeah, basically what they did is you see those five major bouts there, mm-hmm. Batman, Captain America, Hulk, Superman. Yeah. Uh, before the issue came out, like a year before, um, both Marvel and DC started putting in like little ballots in some of the comics. Mm-hmm. And you get a, it was like a little postcard. You actually filled in the postcard as to who would win in each one of those fights. Oh, really? And that's what decided? And then you mailed them in, and then that's what would be decided. Now, they had other battles other than those, like you know, Aquaman yeah. versus the Submariner and Shazam versus Thor, things like that. Right. Uh, that that the writers themselves decided, but supposedly these five fights were decided by the by the fans. Huh. Cool. So some well, of them doesn't make sense because you know, Wolverine could not take down Lobo. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing I know Lobo from is the ads. That I've seen in other comics. So right, I really right, don't, right, right. I don't know what Lobo's story is. Yeah. Basically, he he's, you know, he's on par with Superman as far as powers and strengths. Oh wow! Well, okay. Little little, you know, can opening claws would not hurt him. Yeah. <laughs> but Wolverine is a more popular character than Lobo. Yes. So of okay. Well. I think the Batman versus Captain America would be interesting. I think the Hulk versus Superman would be interesting. Uh, some of these other ones I could care less about. Spider-Man versus Superboy? It's like, good God, Superboy's going to kill Spider-Man. You kidding? Until so you, again. Until you let the the public decide, and then, oh, kryptonite webbing, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and then Wonder Woman versus Storm? Um, that sounds interesting, but I don't know that I would feel that compelled to get that issue, but whatever. It was good. I, I, I'm actually wanting to reread all those issues. Yeah. Well. I might have to dig them out. Okay. Alright, anything else? Nothing else. Okay. Alright, well then I guess we'll let everybody go and be back next week. Oh, next week we're doing um... Next week, IDW, we get to finish off the uh, the mirror mirror. No, it was the. Did we finish off the Pond Far storyline? Yes. Okay. So we're jumping into the the Gorn storyline. So. Right, well, yeah, definitely we're doing the Gorn. Uh, issue twenty three is the first one we're gonna do. And oh no, I'm sorry, you're right. We finished off the uh, Pond Far one in issue 23, which will be the first one we do. Okay, so we have. So you're right. Pond Far, then we start the arena reimagining. Which is quite reimagined. Right. Quite different from the Taz episode. Which is an actual continuation of you know, not only Into Darkness, but also a continuation of the Star Trek video game. So right. I, I hope to do a little re. I hope to do a little synopsis of that, uh, even though I won't go into a lot of detail, but I do need to cover a couple of quick points. Which is a good it, idea. It since, does factor in. Oh, yeah, since I would think that there's a limited number of people that actually got that game 
and actually played through it. Because you played through the entire game. I got the game and began it, but have not played through to the end. So there's lots of that little chunk of story that I do not know about. Although I'm learning as I read the comic. Right, so uh, as a little side note, my son came in when I was playing the end of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's six, so he was like, oh, that looks good. And I'm like, well, you can play it when I'm done. And he finished it in like a, like a week or... Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took me months to finish it, but he finished it in like, oh, yeah, I finished that game. It's pretty That's good. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. I was like, well, did you have it on easy? Because I was playing it on hard, and I'm like, yeah. well, maybe, maybe he just played it on easy. He's like, oh, I had it on regular, medium. Medium. That's pretty good. I was like, get out of here. He's like, I want to play through again as Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they're, they're, they're like little puzzles and stuff you got to figure out. Yeah, he figured them all out. Cool. That's funny. It's funny. So if he can do it, you can do it, Ken. Do it. It's a question of time. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, well, we'll be back next week, and hopefully everybody's still around. Yeah, so thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.